0: man, it's good to see everybody this afternoon. Thank you for being here as we continue our study in the theology of Christ's intercessory work. Ah, remember that this week, <laughs> my new acronym. We're looking at the second part now of Matthew six and Luke eleven in Christ's instruction and in prayer to us. And I want to start again with the scripture. I mentioned it last time, but I want to give it to you as our scripture list. Psalm 91, verses 14 to 16. And I'm going to read these before we pray. This is a timeless psalm of promise. The author is really not unknown. It was likely David, but just listen to these words from the Father. It says, Because he has loved me, Therefore, I will deliver him. I will set him securely on high because he has known my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. And with a long life, I will satisfy him and let him see my salvation. Let's pray. Father, we, we come to you in prayer today, thanking and praising you, for you are the most high and holy God. Father, we thank you that you have granted us access through the blood and the righteousness of Christ, and by faith we can come to you and seek your face, your presence. Lord, your spirits work among us and in us, and, and Lord, today we ask you, you would instruct us from Christ's instruction to us, Lord how we are to pray. But Father, too, I, I pray and ask that this would not only be a, a great and worthy and valuable instruction to us and, and a great and worthy guide as to how, how to approach you, but Father, more importantly, that it would be a, a, a daily ongoing reality in our lives, an experience of communing with you, our King, our Savior, our Redeemer. Our Father, so I ask and pray that your Holy Spirit would would move among us today, would, would quicken us, would stir us, Father, to seek your face early, to seek your face often, to truly live and understand what it means to pray to you, to intercede with you without ceasing in our lives, for we so desperately need this, Lord. So bless this time, I pray, to your glory and our good. To the good of this body, in Jesus' name, amen. To preface our our review of last week, as I prayed, I I, want to simply share what what Christ is teaching us in his discourse here on on how to pray to our Heavenly Father. It is, of course, to, to begin to build and strengthen this priceless relationship we have with God because he is the one has, who has predetermined it. He is the one who has initiated it. And he is the one by his grace who will continue it. And he did this even while we were in our sin. And for us now in Christ, our relationship is to be one of holiness but, and not of, of harsh coldness. It is one of sweet intimacy that compels us by love into prayerful fellowship exchange interchange soulish intercourse and communion with our father where he speaks to our soul as he spoke to david i am your salvation god is not some abstract third party construct with no relational attributes with his children he is our dear and holy heavenly father and our goal as as christians in this life is godliness that's born of obedience to Christ. It is is this obedience that unlocks for us the riches of our relationship and our experience of Christ. And our praying, our intercessory communion with God, prompts and nurtures this obedience in us. It puts our hearts to be intertwined with the Word of God, in a, a proper framework to obey, a, a, as, as one brother pastor used to say, it, it jiggles our willer. It enables us to will, to obey, to desire, to obey God, his precepts, to, to please him in this. And listening to him speak to us, I want to read just one verse out of Song of Solomon. But to hear his love for us and how the Lord himself delights in our communion with us, how he sees us now as his chosen bride. This is Song of Solomon 4.7. He says, you are altogether beautiful, my darling, and there is no blemish in you. That's how the Father sees us in Christ now. Yes, we still deal with our remaining sin, and he is willing to take that sin and forgive us. But he still sees us consistently, constantly in that love as he sees his only begotten son. And he calls us his darling. And our Heavenly Father desires and he delights when we come to him through Christ. He he looks upon us both as justified and as adopted. He is the judge that can justify us and then take us home with himself. And he sees us with such love, such beauty, because of what he has made possible through the power of the blood of his son, the Lamb of God. So he's not ashamed to own this relationship with us, but as such he becomes a kind and tender husband. He speaks affectionately to us as his bride calls us his spouse and which cannot but strongly engage us to come to him to be faithful to him so just a quick brief review from last week we looked at our father or father is found in the luke account revealing to us god's god's paternity our glorious Father, this is the opening address of how we are to to approach our prayers. Yes, we can pray to, to the Son, to the Spirit, but our primary focus is on the Father, God. And, and this glorious fulfillment of Christ's salvific, redemptive work, as we looked at members being members now of his family, now of his bride, we know that through Christ whom he has sent, being in his kingdom now as joint heirs, We now share in this restored, intimate relationship with the Father, where we receive and know of his love to us. And because of this now, what we looked at in in Romans, we now, by the Spirit, can cry out to him, Abba, Holy Daddy, my Father, my loving Father, in prayer. Second thing we looked at is who is in heaven, our Father who is in heaven, Aranos. He is our Father who rules from heaven in the fullness of his sovereignty. Even within that tension, we sense between his otherness and ourselves as the creature, yet we are drawn to him in his presence by his love. He's separate, but he's not distant. He is incomprehensible, but attainable. And we are compelled to to know him and his ways. Just think of all of Psalm 119, of, of the exploration of his grandeur that we find through his word to us to come to him this way. Then we looked at hallowed be your name in our in our prayer to God in our life as a reflection of God. The Lord's instructions that we are to bring an adoration and an honor to his name in how we speak, how we live how we go about our daily activities, how we we relate to our family members, to the world. All of this with with a mindset, a motivation that we want to hallow his name in all that we do. And Peter considers this hallowing the name of Christ when he says to sanctify the Lord, Christ as Lord in your hearts, to have that supremacy within our hearts. So today we come to number four, Heavenly Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. We, we know from Mark chapter 1, verse 15, at the very outset of Christ's ministry, his first words, and as Mark records them in the gospel, this time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And John the Baptist also declares the kingdom of heaven is at hand in John, or excuse me, in Matthew three, two. And other accounts in, in Matthew and Luke as well, there's there's instances of the kingdom of God being present, and yet even within the people they're very sensed that they're unaware of it. They're aware unaware of its presence and even acknowledging it. But here today we have Christ instructing us to pray for something that is not so much asking that something may become true, which is not already, but rather that his actual kingship, his lordship, may be fully implemented in the hearts and lives of the people in submission to his authority, to his holiness. This, this kingdom principle, this kingly power of God in Christ is what he himself brought into this world. That's what he means by Mark. The kingdom of God is at hand. I am present here. I am the kingdom of God. And that kingdom reality has, has made its intrusion into this world by Christ himself. And this is one of the central motifs of Scripture, especially the gospel and Jesus' preaching. That kingdom of God is at hand. So what Christ is praying here, essentially, is thy kingdom come is the, al- the already. What is to come now in not only our lives, but in our prayers. Lord, thy kingdom come into my school, into my workplace, into my very family, into the world around me, into those who are walking around the shops at Legacy. That kingdom principle, that kingdom rule, the revelation of Christ himself that He is the means of salvation. That is a motive of our prayer. That that would come and be a reality. Any questions on that? Absolutely. That's that's the kingdom reality coming into our lives, yeah. And that's what we, Christ, is instructing us to be in prayer about. But it's also a not-yet prayer. We, we long for with joy. Maybe many of us, I, I, I know many of us, not until, the Lord, may our family be saved, but we do desire your kingdom come, you know that it, your revelation your your ultimate vindication your your glorifying presence to be known upon this earth but the all the, the already we pray for to occur like you said in the hearts and this in the gospel accounts this this divine purpose of the father to exalt the son in this is what we see in this prayer that this instruction is to align our prayers with God's kingdom purposes. The whole theme of Scripture can be simply said as God's redemptive plan, right? And that comes upon us by that kingdom intrusion into our lives. This should be our desire, our motivation, and our prayer. And really, the the verb tense in this request, el feto, is let your kingdom come now to have that boldness to pray on behalf of others, and in our daily lives. Lord, let your kingdom rule come now because I know my tendencies to wander. I know my tendencies to be distracted, to be diverted, to be led away into sin. I am still a weak vessel. Let your kingdom come now and rule in me this day. For I need that presence. I need that garden of my heart to be filled with the authority and rule of Christ himself. Holy Spirit, blow out the dust Tear up the weeds in my heart and rule in my heart today that's that's the the emphasis the impact of this el theto. This is how Christ is teaching us to pray in a boldness to the Father, Father, this is your theme of redemption. this is your plan to bring your kingdom into the hearts and lives of men and women. Lord, let it come now i I beseech thee, Father, according to your promise and your purpose that you determined to happen. May it come now, Lord. May it come. Any thoughts? Do we pray this way? Do we desire that kingdom rule to Christ to be manifested and glorified in sinners, to see them come to repentance and faith and to see the glory of Christ in their lives? Yes. It is. um, It's funny. I was reading Amos the other day, and um, and it was Amos five eighteen that says, "Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord! Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness, not light." And so it's like, you know, obviously it's it's talking about judgment, right? Right, right. As Christians, we kind of feel that too. Yeah. Like we do say, "Come quickly, Lord!" But wait a minute. Um, I want to see them saved. Yes, (laughs) yes, absolutely. (laughs) It is. But we do see there Jesus modeling him, him saying, and he could perfectly because he was perfect. He could say that. Right. Um, right like, you know. Absolutely. And that, that dispels the whole myth that Calvinists don't need to pray and evangelize, you know, mm-hmm. right there. Mm-hmm. That should be the heart of the Calvinist prayer or, or the biblical doctrines of grace, grace-believing <laughs> redeemed person to pray for that kingdom reality in the hearts of lives. I mean, seriously, let me ask, do we pray for the brothers and sisters going out on Saturday night? Do we intercede and supplicate on behalf of the lost that their hearts will be open to the truth of God? And, and every day as we go to work, seeking those opportunities and taking full advantage that, Lord, this is according to your promise. I'm going to rely on your power and your gospel to do the work. I'm a messenger. Yeah, Amen. Not putting, trying to put any condemnation on anybody. Stir us all up to this, but also, as I said, it, that's the already, but the not yet aspect that we look for and pray for as well. It's like Sister brought out in Amos is that final kingdom that is to come. That kingdom brings what judgment. The final judgment. We, as you have heard many times from the pulpit and the teaching, we, we believe here there is one final judgment. There's not a partial judgment and another judgment. There is one final judgment coming. When Christ appears, there's no mulligans. There's no another option. There's no second guess and, oh, I get one more opportunity at this. That glorious revelation at the final trumpet sounds judgment, and that will be it. So pray that that part. Exactly, exactly. And not humble, meek, and mild as a baby. But as a king with eyes blazing of fire, his hair white as wool, golden sash, feet as bronze, illuminating like in the transfiguration, probably even greater measure than that. Yeah. Pardon? And a robe dipped in blood blood with a name that we don't know that God alone has given him. Yeah, amen. Wow. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, but save those that we pray for, that we know, that we desire to be saved. Amen. Just as Christ ascended as the conqueror of this kingdom to the Father's right hand, and this train of captives of all the principalities and powers that he defeated and dethroned and disarmed, meaning he's already overcome the kingdom of this world. Satan's already defeated. He's just running around like an insane, hopeless, mindless, destructive, spiritual imp. Now, I'm not saying that in any means of rebuking him. I have no authority and power to rebuke him. The Lord will rebuke him. But that's his destiny. But Christ has already conquered that kingdom. He has already plundered his kingdom. And Peter gives light of this too, that how we are to look knowing what's coming in that judgment when those final elements come, but looking, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord. Any questions on that? Any thoughts? Yes, brother. A name no one knows? Name, there's a name that's written on the, the thigh of Christ that no one knows. Yeah, it's in Revelation 18. 18 yeah. 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 Okay. Yes, brother. Oh, yes. Was that name the King of Kings and Mortal Lord? That's one of them. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, two. Yeah. Number five, your will be done. Now, this can open up a whole different <laughs> set of, of discussions that we can go into offline, but I want to stay here in the context of this prayer of God's will being done, how we are to pray that way as it is in heaven. We'll get to the second part later, but it's interesting. This isn't in the Luke in account just in Matthew, but we know from Scripture Christ didn't come to set up his own individual plans or carry out his own will, but according to John 6.38, it says he was always to seeking and, and doing the will of the Father, seeking not his own will but the will of him who sent me. He didn't do anything on his own but by virtue of that eternal covenant he fulfilled the will of his father, both in keeping the law of the old covenant and also completing the law of fulfilling his office as prophet, priest, and king. And and in his instruction here of how we are to pray, he says we are to pray, Father, that your will be done, which is which is fundamentally a request that the kingdom work accomplished by Christ and the will of the Father as we just talked about, made real in the lives and in the hearts of the believers, that we we too may have in our hearts filled with in the worship of God and the love for him to know and do his will in obedience to his word, which is from scripture we know is our sanctification. We have to be careful understanding this part of the Lord's instruction. We, we can't have a wrong understanding about God's sovereignty as an absolute imposition of his will. And so we just pray out of compulsion, thinking, well, his will has to be done. He's too strong for me to resist. So what's the point of praying otherwise? Now we know God has a decreed will that we don't know the full mysteries of how those things are to be accomplished, okay? But it's also wrong if we think or understand that the Father's will is is inevitable, meaning that we passively resign ourselves and just pray. Well, we pray his will be done because we're told to do so. That's not what Christ's instruction here is for us. We're, We're not to be resignedly obedient, but to pray in faith not shifting our will into some indifferent type of neutral mode and you know okay whatever i'll just pray cuz i'm supposed to yes god is absolutely sovereign and he has a decreed will but he also allows and commands us as believers to exercise our own volition in certain areas to make our own choices wherein god acts in response to our prayers and this begs the questions or the question Do our prayers really change things? Do we believe that? Do we see that happening? From our perspective, yes. What's that? Can you give an example? You can think for a minute, come back. <laughs> Seed. They yep. in with that, right? And it didn't, it didn't change anything because that was God's plan. But they prayed in line with what God. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Just like Eve was. Oh, the Lord has granted me a man child. Already thinking, seed promise, seed promise. Yeah, yeah. But this is also we see in Christ's life. What did He pray? We're going to get into it later in Gethsemane. Not my will but your will be done. Did he pray asking for something else to happen? God, would you would you take this cup of wrath from me? I mean, he, he knew what was ahead. That, that, to drip drops of blood from your sweat glands in the agony over considering what he was facing. I don't want to get into it too much because I want to cover it later, but he was asking for the father. You know, is there another option here? But he resigned himself, just as we are. Father, not my will, but your will be done. But I pray if there is another opportunity, another option, another means for this to happen or this to change, may it be your will, but not my will. I'm I'm not going to impose my will upon yours. And if it doesn't happen, walk away huffy-puffy and, okay, why pray? But to submit our wills to the Father and allow Him to decree and determine when that prayer may or may not be answered according to our will. It will be answered. It could be no. Yes, brother. right 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 if if we pray this in accordance with this we have the greatest contentment lord thy will be done that your name will be hallowed and glorified if if it is according to what i prayed praise god because I know that by the Spirit's work in me and interceding on behalf of that person or whatever, that was your request. That was your doing. That wasn't my selfish will. That was just my heart crying out for, for your will to be done and this your name to be magnified. That's our motivation. But this, this is to be the same for us, just as with the Son, that, that God's will become our will and that by praying in faith, not not limiting ourselves ourselves to this sense of just duty, uh, we got to do it because we've been commanded to do it. That God is going to do what He wants to do, but that through our prayers, we are exercising this God ordained means to change the things in this world. Yes, sister. Amen. And who received the glory in all of that in Elijah's prayers? It manifested God's power and authority over all that. Elijah didn't get puffed up and, you know, but thank you. You're you in my next scripture there. I was going to go to James. That's exactly it. The, the prayers of a righteous man. Who was a righteous man? a believer as as song of solomon just said you're you're precious in my sight you're you're no blemishes in you because of Christ of course you are now a righteous man the prayers of a righteous man avail of much that needs to be our heart humility attitude going into prayer that because of Christ and his righteousness, I come on behalf of my sister or my brother or, or on behalf of our nation, that our leaders would repent and turn to Christ in faith, that they would do right, that sin would be ma- made manifest and these men and women would be humbled for the glory of God. Sorry, I'm getting there. <laughs> but that's, that's the prayers of a righteous man. They avail much. They change things. You got a thought, brother? <laughs> i Saw it coming. <laughs> well, it through, I think the general idea behind it, I suppose, is like you said: it's ultimately prayer is like the means that God is working. Um, you know, being one of the ways in which He brings about His will, and so we have an opportunity in that sense not to pray just because it's a duty. Right. Amen. And and what, what do we find as... Let's see if I can phrase this in a question. What do we find in the substance of His will that He gives us in the Word of God? Does that make sense? Does He make promises to us? Man, lay hold of those in prayer. Your desire, Father, is that all men would come to repentance. I know it's not all... Not everybody's going to be saved, but you said it was your desire. I beseech on behalf of my my mother, my my children, that they would be saved. Yeah. Amen. Jonathan Edwards has a quote. Ready? Here comes some heart pain. (laughs) We are not our own. Therefore, neither our reason nor our will should dominate our plans and actions. We are not our own, therefore let us not make the gratification of our flesh our end. We are not our own, therefore as much as possible, let us forget ourselves and our own interests. That's our attitude going into prayer. Yet we do pray for ourselves, our sanctification, that we would grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ, that our sin would be mortified by the power of the Spirit, and we'd be sanctified by the Word of God. Amen. Yes, absolutely. But like we were talking about in James, why do you have not? It's because you lust and desire. Your, your prayers are amiss because you want it for your own passions, your own selfish desires. Not for the sake of others, for their salvation, for their growth, for their protection, and not for the glory of God. So it, it is a our Father who is in heaven outward looking in prayer that we take to the Father. We, have, we come to the Father. Now, we are not praying, this gets back to the decreed will of the Father, we are not praying to change the mind of God. He does not change. He is God. But our prayers may be prayers of a righteous man that will do what? Change things, have a great effect. And there is a matter of, always a matter, a foundation, a necessity, a requirement, a theme, a heart of faith, believing when you go to pray. God, you are a God of all power and all authority and all knowledge. You alone can do these things. If you pulled this wretched worm out of the pits of hell and shone your light into this heart, you can do anything. You parted the sea and made dry land. You can do all things, because with us it's impossible, but with you it is possible. So, it accomplishes much, prayers of a righteous man. It brings much change, and as subjects of his mercy, in complete dependence upon him for all things, is it not the case that through the means of prayer that our own hearts are changed That our own hearts are transformed and made more subject and malleable to these truths and precepts and attitudes and his commands and his desires for us. And with this in mind, should we be more careful when we say, I'll pray for you, brother. I'll pray for you, sister. Take that to heart. Take that to notebook. Take that to your knees. Remember, God hears everything we say and commit to. But when we do it with great joy, with great privilege, that I can pray for each one of you as we take the directory and just intercede on behalf of one another. Yes, brother. Right, kind of others' lives, yeah, in the nations, in in the glorifying of His name, hallowing of His name, you know, bringing sin to light, yeah. so that there is an opportunity the gospel, you know, yeah. for physical healing, yeah, all yeah. of that. In that, I kind of thought of God's providence, like uh, in the sense of when because nonbelievers pray as right, well, yeah, and to them they see change or an answer prayer or something along those lines, yeah. Common grace. Yep. Yep. I I yeah. And then it is for us to request and pray as we continue that His will be done on earth, as it is in heaven. What does that mean? How is His will done in heaven? Any ideas? Perfect. Yeah. Perfectly. Begrudgingly. No. Okay. <laughs> got your got your attention. <laughs> Haphazardly? Zealously. Fervency, willingly, readily. Yeah. The subjects of our prayers should be brought in conformity with God's perfect will in lives, circumstances with the intention of that furthering of his kingdom, that further kingdom work in the lives and hearts of others. But think about this. Who rules the earth right now? Right. He's been granted, granted that authority by God, right? He blinds the minds of unbelievers. Have you ever thought about prayer in this aspect? That our prayers are a righteous rebellion against his kingdom. Against the world's normalcy of sin. Against their tolerance of sin. Against the entire system of ungodliness and corruption. That's a good means and method and way of a righteous rebellion, of righteous anger. Is to take those things into prayer on behalf of others, you know. We see what Jesus did in John 2, put together a whip of cords. Did he go after people? Was he abusing people? No, he tore up all their means of exchange. And he says, what, my father's house will be a house of. Yes. However, we have dominion over him, right? We do in the authority of Christ. Yeah, not of our own. He is much stronger than me. That's why I said earlier, I cannot rebuke Satan. That's what Jude said, The Lord rebuke you, Michael, the Lord rebuke you. It's it's those false teachers who go about saying, I rebuke you in the name Yeah. They they have yeah, they have no authority over that. It's like that verse, submit to God, right? Exactly. The right. Perfect three point approach, yes. When we submit ourselves to God, his sovereign rule comes into play. Satan is dispelled and dealt with far beyond, far better than we could imagine or, or attempt. So, But also in, in mind of this, thinking about who currently rules the earth, how our prayers can be a righteous rebellion. If we are impotent, if we are careless, if we are indifferent in our praying, in a sense, are we not striking a truce? With the world and its ways? Do we see how, how we, if, if we are to pray in a matter that is so intricately linked with the mind of Christ and the will of the Father to bring about a complete usurping of the soul, of a lost soul into redemption? How careful we must be in thinking about our attitude toward prayer if we're careless and indifferent to it. And, and to pray for righteousness, to pray for Satan's will and ways to be undone, is to pray a lot like David in Psalm 68, 1, where he said, Let God arise and let his enemies be scattered, and all who hate him will flee before him. That's our only authority over the enemy, is to pray like that, that God will do the uprising and usurping over those unseen forces. But, of course, and, and absolutely and most certainly, as I said earlier, to pray rightly in all these matters is to pray in faith, pray in believing in, whom, in the God with whom we have to deal and with whom we come to. Faith in the Father, faith in the Son, faith in the Spirit and in the Word that we have received and all of the promises that, that are contained therein for us. Those are ours. Those are great gifts that he gives to his children and to his bride that we are to to stand on and, and pray for and request of him. And it's also believing that our Father hears our prayers. How many times do we enter in our closets to pray and we wrestle with that kind of reverberation off the ceiling that isn't really going anywhere? That's a struggle. I, I know it. Father, are you really hearing? Are you really listening? But that's where faith comes in and believe that he is hearing our prayers. Even when we don't feel like he is or we don't sense that he is, he, he hears the prayers of his children, of his redeemed children. And this can be a great hindrance to us if we let that feeling, that sense overrule are pressing in harder to the Father to say, I'm coming to you by faith, not on my feelings, not on my emotions. I want to engage with you. I want to be with you. And and that's when you pull out the word, or you pull out, if you don't have a valley of vision, I highly recommend you get one of these. I'm going to show you an example of this in a minute. But believing that he hears our prayers. Because our greatest enemy in prayer is, and aligning our will with the Father's will is our pride. That's where it stems from. That's where these thoughts of, oh, he's not hearing me, he's not listening to me, you know, he doesn't care. He's, he's way off in heaven, and I'm just a worm, I'm just dust. No, Psalm 8. Think about that Psalm. Pray that Psalm. What is amazing, you're mindful of me, a mere creature. I'm below the angels, and you still care for me. So, our praying is not only a great means of grace given to us, granted to us, privileged to us by the finished work of Christ, but also the great means and necessary means of our progressive sanctification. It changes our hearts, our lives, and those anywhere because the Spirit of God is not bound by walls and fences and nations and oceans. Or boundaries of any kind, and our call in this, our call to prayer, yes, sir. You said below angels, like we are below, yeah. So this children, we're on the earth. Oh, like literally. Okay, I understand. Yep. Okay, cool. And our our call in this, our call in prayer, is is really, in in a sense, to bring heaven to earth, and to 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 those in the earth by hallowing his name in the word and life, in, in, in their word and, and in life, and asking for his kingdom, rule, and power to come and seeking to be a believer and a doer of his will. This is our prayer for the lost. But how do we practically do this? How do How do we work this out in our daily lives? What is What should this look like? What can this look like? How are we to pray? We can... Simply go, and and as Christ talks about in Matthew 6, we are to go into an inner room, into a closet. He's not talking specifying a unique location that we all have to go build, (laughs) okay? He's talking about a place of intimacy, a place of focus, a place where you are in secret with the Lord because the promise is he will reward you in public. He will reward those who seek him earnestly, who seek him diligently. As Christ specifically says in Matthew 6, 6, go, let me back up, when you pray, implying believer in me, you will be praying. And when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. He'll reward you with that confirmation that he gave to David. I am your salvation. I am your king. But for us to seek him rightly is to seek him, as I said, by faith. To seek him earnestly in light of his character, as we saw in the Song of Solomon, because of his great love for us. He sees us as precious, as spotless, we should be those who seek him for the promise of his great reward for us in Christ. But we have to be, but we have for us some very positive precepts for the believer to, to utilize, to go along with. For us individually, yes, first, maybe foremost, but this secret prayer needs to be. Even, I would say, a priority before our public prayers, before we pray with our family. It's not to say you can't pray with your family or be in public prayer, but if there isn't an intimacy, a private prayer life of your own, it, it kind of impedes the public prayer. There's, there's sometimes a greater sense of wrong sense of unworthiness that I can't do this. But if there is that intimate time of prayer in the closet, then there is there is a greater desire to be with one another, to, to gather together and to go before the throne of grace together and intercede on behalf of one another. It's a command of Christ. Go into your inner room. Go into your secret place and seek the Father, and he will reward you. So I want to give you just five points. I mentioned Thomas Brooks book last week, the, the Key to Heaven. He's got five brief things here I just want to give you, and then I want to read out of Valley Vision for you, just to give you an example that goes so well with what we've been studying. Brooks says, it is a great privilege and most blessed dil- duty to diligently pursue private prayer with the Father. We've seen that. Private prayer aids in the witness of a clear conscience before God. Neglect of it will stir up accusations. Neglect of it will bring in condemning thoughts. Neglect of it will bring in those terrors, false terrors. Third one, God has specifically promised a reward to what is wrought in private communion with him. And his rewards are great and lasting. And as Christ sought out private communion with the Father, this should be As we heard from Brother Brian, this should be our imitation as well. This should be our greatest example. We have the instruction on how to pray. Whether we pray this prayer from Scripture, which is perfectly fine, with the right heart motivation, not just, okay, I just pray this, I'm done, I'm good. But listen to this. This is an interesting analogy that that Brooks brought out. For Christ himself says, when you pray taking it for granted, if you will, that as a child of God, this will be your life. His statement has a piercing analogy. When he says, when you pray, it is as if he says, I know you can well hear without ears and live without food and fight without hands and walk without feet as you are able to live without prayer. I'll leave that to rest. Fifth one. If this is not such an indispensable duty that Christ calls his people to, then why does our enemy oppose it so much and why is there so much effort to discourage and distract us from it if it were not such a soul-enriching duty for us? Amen. Any final thoughts, comments? Believe me, I have been deeply convicted over this study. But I want to read it to you. If you, Like I said, if you don't have one of these, I know two very well-known pastors who use this habitually. And, and one of them told me, he said, I take a three-by-five card and I cover up the prayer and just expose one line and I read it and I pray it and I make it mine and I ask the Lord, please make this real to me. You know, these are some precious gems, but I want to read this one. It's called God's Cause, and this just harmonizes so well with this teaching. Sovereign God, thy cause, not my own, engages my heart, and I appeal to thee with greatest freedom to set up thy kingdom in every place where Satan reigns. Glorify thyself, and I shall rejoice, for to bring honor to thy name is my sole desire. I adore thee that thou art God, and long that others should know it, feel it, and rejoice in it. Oh, that all men might love and praise thee, that thou mightest have all glory from the intelligent world. Let sinners be brought to thee for thy dear name. To the eye of reason, everything respecting the conversion of others is as dark as midnight. But thou canst accomplish great things. The cause is thine, and it is to thy glory that men should be saved. Lord, use me as thou wilt, do with me what thou wilt. But, O, promote thy cause. Let thy kingdom come. Let thy blessed interest be advanced in this world. O, do thou bring in great numbers to Jesus. Let me see that glorious day and give me to grasp for multitudes of souls. Let me be willing to die to that end. And while I live, let me labor for thee to the utmost of my strength. Spending time profitably in this work, both in health and in weakness. It is thy cause and kingdom I long for, not my own. Oh, answer thou my request. Amen. Get one of these. (laughs) It, It will enrich your prayer life as well as the Word of God, primarily the Word of God. Pray through the Psalms. Psalm 91 is wonderful any questions any comments yes brother okay, uh, I just to read Mark 11, go for so, it oh yeah because they, the they kind of, kind of they're not aligned in this they're aligned in their own selfish motivations they want the best life now. This is their kingdom. You know, as Christ talked about the Pharisees, they're praying, they're out in the street publicly. Oh, look at me, how wonderful. That's their reward. That's the extent of their reward. And that's the, the, the judgment that those men have already received who pray in lust, in desire, selfish passion for those things. That's it. That's all they're going to get. that That's their heaven. right exactly this that's that's why i took our time and broke this down this is the, the the premise the primary focus is our father who is in heaven hallowed be your name thy kingdom come thy will be done now next week lord willing our request our supplications and and really the finite extent of those you know because this isn't our best life now. <laughs> Ours is yet to come. Yeah, yeah. There's a church in Houston. If you want to go. <laughs> no, excuse me. Not a church. That's a gathering in Houston. Yes. Absolutely. 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 Oh, amen. Yeah. If 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 this is your heart attitude as you enter prayer for those things? Because in, in this mindset and in this heart attitude, are you going to be, Lord, I'd really like a Jaguar. You know, I, I need about a 6,000 square foot house. I need a couple extra airplanes. No, no, no. So, amen. So That's exactly right. That's That's the glorifying contrast to... Reality of how we should pray. Other thoughts. Thank you for your time, attention. Yes. Well, we know that happened in his youth, when he was in the temple. When remember when his parents went back, and he was there, and they three days they couldn't find him, went back you knew it had to be about my father's business. I mean, at that time, we know he was being instructed in questioning and questioning and discussing things of God. Um, but him being the word of God, I'm sure he knew the scriptures by going to the scrolls and reading and studying, because he grew in wisdom and stature too. And so in, in his humanity, as part of that hypostatic union, his humanity, he had to learn those things. And study those things, but I, I am sure—I I can't say this definitively. There was probably a realization just as he prayed when he came into the temple and said, "Today, this is fulfilled in your midst." I think that reality was was definitely working in him. But he knew this is my destiny. He wouldn't worry about having a pillow to lay his head on, you know, or accumulating wealth or having a house. This was his purpose in in redeeming sinners, redeeming a lost men, women, and children. Are we any different? (laughs) To follow in his likeness? To imitate him in those things? That's, That's our primary goal, right? That's our primary prayer. But we'll get in next week, Lord willing, on the daily matters. How we take those to the Father, because He welcomes those too. He 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 sincerely desires us to come with those requests. And and I can tell you a testimony to see those daily fulfilled in our brothers and sisters' lives in Cuba is just a, a daily awe filling miracle work of God. You know. Amen. Praise God. Let's continue worship.